Well, it's a great day to be in church. Yes. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And if you're a guest here with us today, we want to say a very special welcome to you. In front of you, there's a card that says guest welcome. Just scan that, fill it out. Let us know you were here. If you don't want anybody to know that you were here, just ignore that entire thing I just said and you can just walk out of here. No one will bother you. Okay. Uh, can we do this? My favorite part of every service is welcoming our Branchville facility guys. Good morning, gentlemen. Love you. Love you. Love what God is doing through you guys. Next Sunday. Everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be a good one, man. Next Sunday is when we have rescheduled Red Hot and Boom 2. It was supposed to take place on July 2nd. Uh, Red Hot and Boom is an outreach. It's designed with fireworks, and we're going to do the fireworks, but we've got a belly flop contest, air rides, the building's open. Okay, there's field games, food trucks. You don't want to miss it, okay? The whole idea is for you to invite your friends to hang out with us next Sunday night from 6 to 9 p.m. At 9 p.m., we have an incredible fireworks display that looks like there's no reason to have it because it's in September. <laughs> but we've already paid for it, so I'm blowing up something. Okay, so come check it out, hang out with your families, but you got to bring your own chair. Okay, <laughs> bring your own chair, come hang out with us. Look, if you're a weird member in our church, okay, you can come, just don't tell people you hang out with us. Okay, just be like, oh, I've never been here before. You know, I'm the church weirdo from across the street. Okay, but if you're normal, hang out with people, have your friends here, bring their kids. We just want them to feel welcome at our church. God has been so good to us uh, starting in two weeks, not next Sunday. The following Sunday, we're moving to three services, okay, at 8.30, 10, and 11.30, which is exciting. We've grown by almost 500 people in three months. And so... Yeah, that's awesome. So either later this week or the start of next week, you're going to get a text from us that says, hey, which service do you plan on going to? Okay, and the reason we're asking is because uh, we want to know where you're going to go so that we can plan effectively. Also, uh, you might get a text back saying, hey, you're going to the service that not many people are going to. You need to fill that service. Okay, so help us by inviting your friends to that. And we need more volunteers. If you're not actively engaged right now, get engaged. We've got more people serving now than we ever have, but we need more of you serving in greeters, ushers, production, kids, you name it, we could use your help. If you're a smiling face, we want you here. If you are a mean person and you come here, do not volunteer. <laughs> if you hate children, do not sign up to work in the kids ministry. If you're unhappy, normally don't sign up to be a greeter, okay? I don't want no. Just come on in. Okay, we're glad you're here. I don't want any of that. I already, there's enough of that at McDonald's and Taco Bell starting to get that way. And my heart was broken yesterday. This is an in my notes, but I drove to Taco Bell in Newburgh, and the line was so long I was going to go inside, but they had the inside locked. And so uh, I might have said some things about Taco Bell. Then I refused to drive to the other one. So then later my son brought me something and I forgave Taco Bell. <laughs> if you're watching, I know what you're doing. Anyway, 
This week, we're in week two of our series called Allegiance. The idea is this, whose kingdom are you building? It's kind of like a proclamation, a declaration, okay? And over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about what is the biblical mandate of the church in modern times, right? John Tyson, the author of Creative Minority, a book that you should absolutely read. If you don't like reading books, it's only 52 pages long. It's perfect for you. Okay, I hate reading, okay? Dr. Seuss is my favorite author, okay? And here's what he says. A creative minority is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living networks of persons who are committed to practicing the ways of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. Now, last week we talked about how a community of stubborn, loyal relationships is what God is after, right? And that community is a team sport. You're not designed to do it alone. A community should be motivated by compassion. People know when you're being phony, right? People want authenticity. And community leads to powerful moves of God. When we do our part, God does his part. We talked about the story where four friends bring their paralytic friend and drop them in front of Jesus, and it was their faith that heals this man that Jesus is like, no, your faith, your faith has healed this man. So our job is to bring people before Jesus. Now, the gospel surpasses any compelling story or any marketing the world has to offer. But most Christians are only lives, living the gospel portion. And that sounds very holy, but the gospel portion is you were born and then you die and go to heaven. That's the gospel portion. But there's so much more to that story, okay? You were created by God in his image. You were created by God in his image, right? And then back in the day, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. They sinned, caused separation from God. Jesus died on the cross, rose again so that you can be saved and not go to hell and go to heaven. But... The point of it was not just for you to go to heaven, but to join in the plan of the renewal of the earth. We need to embrace the full story. So when we, when we do that, we're able to have the peace in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in Evansville and beyond. And we go to great length to make time for this moment. Jesus took you know, we just heard a story about 400 years and 4,000 people. Think about that. 4,000 people had to join in the making of you. 4,000 people for you to sit here. I see pregnant women in here. Now it's 4,001 had to join in on this thing to make it happen so that you're here for this purpose this time and you're like, well, that was man's doing. No, it's not. God is the author and finisher of everything. There is a purpose. Now, I love stories, okay? Now, some of us read stories like I used to do to my children. I'm, you know, I, I like to make fun of myself, but, but many of you do this. I'm not alone, okay? How many of you, when you're tired at night and your children are younger, okay, and they come up to you and they're like, hey, will you read this book, right? And you know the book because they read it 900 times in a day, right? Like my kid brought me the same one fish, two fish, three fish, blue fish, 12 fish book every night. Right? 
And when they couldn't count, what I would do when I was tired is I would go one fish, two fish, skip to seven fish, eight fish. Or however the story goes. I don't know how many fish are in there. I don't know if Jesus multiplies it. I have no idea. But when I was tired, but the problem was when I got a little, when they got a little older, they're like, no, dad, you skip the part, go back. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but that's what many of us do with our Bibles. We want the beginning. We want to sleep and get to the end. And that's not the compelling part. I love a great story, man. I love great movies. I like to go see movies. If you're ever bored and you invite me out to some, I'm sorry, I'm not going to golf with you. But if you're like, hey, you want to go to the movies and not talk? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Let's do that. And I love great movies. So when I go see like Star Wars, you know, I don't watch them and go, man, you know, George Lucas, he's such a great writer. Okay. I, I become part of the movie, right? I become Luke Skywalker. I'm like, you know, I'm like, yes, I want to chop my father's hands off and stuff. I'm like, yes, you know, I get that, right? I watch Braveheart and I become Scottish. I'm like, I've, I, I've no white in me whatsoever. And all of a sudden I'm the Scottish man wearing a kilt and I'm like, yes, naked on a horse. Let's do it. <laughs> right? I become that character. When I watch Grumpy Old Men, I think of Dave and I in the future and what I want my future to be like. Right? I want to walk out of my home and just, ah, tired of living life with you, man. He has no idea I'm buying every home next to him for eternity. I don't know where he's at. I don't think he's sitting in this service. But if he is, he knows the plan now. But when I do that, I, I, I'm not... Wanting somebody else's story, I actually want their story to be my story. So I don't want to become that person. I want that person to become me. And I kind of want to take that. And that's what really God is trying to do in your life. He wants his story not to be his story. He wants it to be your story. And I know I'm a little crazy and, and I'm out there, but I'm not too far off when Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared us in advance to do. That word handiwork, okay, in the Greek is poma, okay, which is where we get the term poem. Okay, so don't think roses are red, violets are blue, you know, have something old, have something new. Don't think about that, right? Think about amazing Robert Frost, Maya Angelou, okay, Shel Silverstein, Dr. Seuss. Those are my favorite poems. God wants to make a great story in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, a compelling, bigger story than the one you're living now. And John Tyson writes this in the same book I quote from earlier, Creative Minority. It says this. We're living in a time in history that is in many ways defined as the story wars. People, organizations, companies are competing for mind space and brand allegiance. And their primary tool is a compelling narrative. As a Christian, we talk a lot about how we want to share Jesus with others. But if we're honest... In an increasingly hostile world, it can be hard to feel like the gospel is good news to us. Because you're hardwired to want to make an impact, to want to make a difference. And the problem is, is most Christians are only living half the story. They're living the beginning and the end. 
right? How many people want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. That's awesome, right? I'm not going to ask how many want to go to hell. I'll be depressed, <laughs> right? Everybody I know wants to go to heaven, right? But we're leaving half the story. So what we don't do is uh, we don't realize that we were created in God's image for here and now too, that we're not just supposed to be born and then die, right? Many of us, man, and that's why so many Christians get jealous of Christians that like find Jesus at the very end. They're like, I had to work for this. Why? Because we were created to do something. So what's the meaning in our lives? Back in the 90s, John Hopkins University did a study and they asked what people wanted most, students, what students wanted most. That would be most of us in here around that time. What do you want, right? Money and wealth were not in the top answers. 85% responded with purpose. They want a purpose in life. There's a German philosopher, Frederick Nysik, who said it this way. He who has why to live can bear with almost any how. As long as you have a reason why you do something, you can go through anything. But you have to have the reason why. People have all kinds of philosophers they listen to and gurus and social media experts that they listen to now. If I had a dollar for every person, somebody sent me something, they're like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Boom. I was like, you literally said that yesterday. I do this to people. I text people all the time. I'm like, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Blink. And send them two minutes later, funniest thing I've ever read. Boom. Right? Why? All this information is just flying by. And I have a great philosopher in my life. Her, her name is Mom. Right, And I learned some great nuggets of wisdom that I want to give you today that you may not have known, but I want you to hear the heart behind it because the intention you're going to go, I don't know what she's saying. Here's one of the ones she taught me, and I, I repeated it a lot until I got married. Don't put all your hand grenades in one basket, <laughs> which is great advice. That's an explosive situation. I didn't know it was eggs until very late in life. I used to also tell people when referencing things that, you know, I'm not necessarily into, that's not my bag of cake. I don't know who has bags of cake, but I used to say it because my mother said it. I know now it's not my cup of tea, but apparently not my bag of cake is the same thing, right? My poor niece upon breaking up with her boyfriend of five years, is telling my mother, and I hear my mother give this advice to her. She's like, sweetheart, don't be upset. There are plenty of birds in the ocean. <laughs> Which is true. There are birds who live in the ocean. You just got to jump out of where the fish live to get them. So I want to give you advice today from the wisest man that's ever lived, according to Scripture, He's the wisest, richest man. His name is Solomon. He's an ancient king of Israel. He's the son of King David. He built the first temple in Jerusalem. He is the author of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. So he wrote three books of the known Bible that we have, right? He was super wise and the richest man on earth. There has never been since that day somebody with more money than King Solomon. So here's what he says. 
And it's sad because you might be discouraged by the time we, we read this because he's got everything. And he uses the word meaningless, which appears 38 times in the Bible. He uses it 35 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he starts right out of the gate. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, Solomon. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors of which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The winds blew south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes and ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All Things are wearisome more than one can say. The eye has enough of seeing. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear of its hearing. It's kind of a downer. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't read that and was like, wow, that is awesome. You know what? I feel much better. I should go about living my day, right? And you don't want to think that Solomon is some sort of melancholy guy, that he's pessimistic, that he's a cynical type person, or that he's even tired. He's trying to do the same thing every one of us is doing and find the meaning of life. So here he goes chasing after the meaning of life. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, I undertook great projects and I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. A lot of people believe if they would just have the dream home in the right scenario, they'd have everything they wanted. And he has discovered after having this, okay, he's one of the greatest developers of all time. It's meaningless. In verse 5, it says this, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruits, trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Okay. Now, I want you to understand, how many of you have ever been to Vegas? Okay, awesome. If you've ever seen the Bellagio in Vegas, it's got an 11-acre lake, okay? And in this lake, they've got fountains going everywhere. It's incredible. Back in 1997, Steve Wynn spent $1.6 billion to make that lake and that hotel, right? I want you to imagine, okay, that Solomon has invested 11 times that in his day to build things. That's incredible. And he comes to the end and he goes, it's meaningless. Great. You're like, well, maybe, maybe he tries something else, right? So in verse 7, it says this, I own herds and flocks more than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself in the treasures of kings and provinces. So let me help you out. He doesn't just have the wealth of a king. He's got the wealth of many kings. And many provinces. He's got more money that people would just come to stare at his money. There are visitors that would come see Solomon. Remember Scrooge McDuck when he would slide on his money? They would come just to stare at his money. That's how much money he had. Gold and silver. He's like, check it out. And in his old age, when he's writing this, he's like, hey, all of this, meaningless. Some of us be like, I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. How many of you don't ever gamble, but you play the lotto when it hits a billion? Don't lie. Put your hand up. Hey, you're all going to hell. <laughs> I have my hand up. I gave it a whirl, baby. If 
forgive me, Jesus, I was trying to build your church. <laughs> I was going to pay this sucker off. Okay. So if you imagine this, Solomon has more money than Bill Gates and Elon Musk put together. Right? Still discovers it's meaningless. And maybe you're like, he's just too driven. He's a type A guy. He just doesn't know how to relax. He doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. Then he goes here. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I thought in my own heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to try to find out what is good. But it also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine, getting drunk. Okay, and acting the fool, embracing folly. He tries it, and he's like, he's partying, he's having a good time, okay? And he's like, it's all meaningless. I'm like, man, this guy's life was horrible, okay? But we see it happen all the time. I mean, poor Britney Spears has shaved her head I don't know how many times now. She's got all the money in the world. She can't find happiness. Why? Because it doesn't have a purpose, and here's where we go. You're like, well, he's tried all the things, but Pastor Darrell, there's one thing you're leaving out. He hasn't tried, you know, he hasn't tried, you know, it. Well, yes, he does. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I acquired a harem as well, the delights of the heart of any man. Now, let me tell you what he meant when he wrote that, because you're like, what is a harem, okay? A harem, when we think in a movie, okay, we're like, he's got 10 or 20 people. Let me read to you how many women this one man had, okay? Solomon had 300 concubines, 700 wives, and a harem of 300 women. That's 1,300 women at his disposal. That would fill this room twice. And he's like, that's meaningless. <laughs> he could go four years without seeing the same woman at night. <laughs> and he's like, nothing, nothing. Didn't enjoy it at all. It was meaningless. He's at the end of his age. And you're like, well, I don't have to, I don't have to be this old to know this. And you don't, some of you think you have to have all these things in order to learn these lessons. And let me give you something that you need to understand. Lust promises what it cannot deliver. Lust promises you something that it can't deliver. You'll go after it and then you feel shame afterward. That's why when pornography enters, the second it's over, you're filled with guilt. Because it promises something that it cannot deliver, right? And, uh, you know, I, I have chased things, and every one of you, we don't have to go through the full extent of the story. Ryan, you can come and join me, but you don't have to go through the extent of the story to know that some things are just meaningless. Like, you, you've had this experience. I know I did. For two years in high school, play something happy first. <laughs> We got it. Follow me with this story. This is a good one. Here we go. So in high school, I chased this one girl. Okay. Her name was Dimple. It's true. It's not a joke. For two years, I asked her to everything. 
I had my heart set. You know when you're a guy or you're a young girl and something gets stuck in your head and you're like, man, I would, I would just be out on the basketball court in my, in my front of my house. I'm like, if I make this shot, Jesus, she's going to love me. <laughs> Bounced off. I was like, not that one. If I make this one. <laughs> yes. Doing the pedal deal. I'm creeping her out. I'm showing up at her house, writing things with Skittles on her porch. Will you go? And she finds it ant infested by the time she figures it out. So after two years, man, I finally, finally get a yes. She's like, I'll go to this dance with you. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I go and we start dancing and I realized something. I didn't like her. <laughs> I actually couldn't stand her. I was like, she didn't want to do anything. She was kind of pretentious. And I was like, I just wasted two years of my life because I built you up to be this huge thing. And it probably wasn't even fair because my expectation was up here and the reality was down here. It ended up being meaningless. Clearly we're not married. I made the shop. That's a reference to the last joke. Yet after all the years, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, So I hated my life because the work that I've done under the sun was so grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled under the sun. And work here doesn't mean career, and it doesn't mean, hey, you're going to have all that stuff. Now, Sol Solomon's word of meaningless is not to tell you that nothing is worthwhile. It's an advanced exploration into the meaning of life. And it gives us the plot line, of the lesser story of the in-between part of the Bible. That our desire for meaning goes, doesn't go away when you have everything everybody tells you you need. That desire for meaning doesn't go away. That's what he's trying to tell you. And he writes this. Like at the last shot, like a buzzer beater. In Ecclesiastes 13, he writes this. If you want to know what meaning is, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the trouble comes and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And the second thing he says is respect God and keep his commands. There's a greater story for every one of us to join in before we get to heaven. We're called to be heirs and co-workers with God and redeeming the world now, in doing things now, not waiting till we get to heaven. How do I know that? Because Paul has already said it in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
That's why he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The faithful is one part. You have been faithful to me. That you get into heaven for. The well done portion is what you did in the between part. And Solomon is willing to trade his life and all that's in it for a purpose at the end. How many of you have ever heard of the super famous life-changing person that has affected almost 99% of your lives in here, Edward Kimball? What do you mean you've never heard of Edward Kimball? Yes, you have. He's transformed your life. You're like, that is impossible. I've never heard of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball is a Sunday school teacher who walked into a shoe store and spoke with the clerk and challenged him in his faith and said, go meet Jesus, meet me here. So Edward Kimball leads a gentleman by the name of D.L. Moody to Jesus, who in turn inspires F.B. Meyer who challenges Wilbur Chapman, who disciples Billy Sunday, who disciples Mordecai Ham, who presented the gospel to Billy Graham. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? How many of you have been affected by Billy Graham? Billy Graham is not Billy Graham without Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher. And here's what I want you to understand. Solomon would trade it all to be Edward Kimball. He would have given all the riches on earth, everything he had. He's like, this is all meaningless. If he knew he had the opportunity to come back just to be Edward Kimball, he'd like, I'd do it in a heartbeat to reach millions upon millions upon millions for Jesus. Between these four men, D.L. Moody and Kimball and Ham, they have led over one billion people to Jesus because of a shoe sale. What is your part? Now, stop chasing these things. At the end of your days, I promise you, man, it's going to feel meaningless. On the seat when you came in, there was a card. It has three simple questions on it. So what smaller story have I been trying to live for? Maybe it's wealth, success, pleasure. These are not cards you're going to turn in. I want you to write right there. There's a pen in front of you. I want you to write the answer. If I knew that my current life with my current relationships mattered in the redemptive work of God is doing, how would I approach my days and moments differently? The last one is, what's one thing you could do today to join in God's redemptive work in my heart, my home, my neighborhood, my job, and elsewhere? We're gonna take just two minutes right now 
and we're going to let you write those answers, and we're going to pray over those and call it a week for today. Take that time now. running out of time. Please have your final answers ready. All right, will you hold those in your hands? You can fill them out later. I just want you to hold them in your hands as I pray for you today. And I want you to take these and I want you to put them somewhere you can see and remind yourself, I don't need the things of this world. They're all going to fade. I want to make a difference today and every day in God's redemptive work. My goal is just not heaven. I'm already on my way to heaven. My goal is to make a child smile. My goal is to be patient. My goal is to be redemptive. My goal is to help others, to love on others, to inspire others, to challenge others, to serve others. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. God, that you would help us to join the middle part of our story, to build a compelling alternate story today, to change lives, change hearts at work at home in our relationships change us for the better i pray and ask in jesus name amen